let's make sure we have a biblical basis for what we're talking about. So let's turn to the Scriptures, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, Paul puts down in some detail what precisely he is praying for the people who live in the city of Colossae. And let me just suggest this to you, that very often we have difficulty in knowing what to pray. I I have found that when that happens to me, and that's not infrequent at all, that if I turn to the prayers of Scripture, the prayers of Paul, for instance, or even the prayers of Jesus, they're there in considerable detail, and they are extremely helpful. Now, just look at this prayer, commencing with verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. All right, now here gets into the details. Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, that's quite a mouthful that he says there. I want you to notice particularly that his prayer is based on God's action in the lives of the Colossians with the result that they will be filled with the knowledge of his will. This will lead to spiritual wisdom and understanding to the end that they will live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Now, I would suggest to you that is what we mean by life lessons, that God works in our lives brings us to an understanding of God's will, fills us with the knowledge of his will and discovery of it in our own lives. The result is spiritual wisdom, understanding of the things of God that work out practically into a lifestyle characterized by two things. It is a lifestyle worthy of the Lord And it is a lifestyle that is not predicated on pleasing myself. It is a lifestyle predicated on pleasing the Lord. Life lessons. That's what we're going to be talking about. I've been asked to illustrate this from some of my own experiences. But I want you to understand that this is what we are talking about. And we're simply trying to illustrate what the scriptures are prescribing for us. Now, uh, one, one thing I have learned is that an educated person is somebody who has learned how to learn and never stops learning. That is a, a definition. I think it comes from Peter Drucker, the management guru. So it must be right. An educated person is somebody who's learned how to learn and never stops learning. Very often people will say to me, where did you get your education? And I would say, well, thank you very much for assuming that I 
am educated. And thank you for assuming that it is complete. For the question was, where did you get your education? But as, as far as I'm concerned, I take great comfort in the fact that whilst my formal education ended rather abruptly when I was 17 years of age, I take great comfort in the fact that an educated person is somebody who's learned how to learn and never stops learning. Incidentally, I think that is a beautiful definition of a disciple. For a disciple is literally a learner. And if you say, instead of saying an educated person, you say a disciple, you've got a great definition of a disciple. A disciple is somebody who's learned how to learn and never stops learning. Now, how do we learn how to learn? I think back to my formative days. I can answer the question as to how we learn how to learn. One of the most amazing things about newborn babies to me is that they come with an instinct or an intuition as to where they'll find their first breakfast. They know mama will provide that for them, and they seem to know where to find it and how to get it. Who told them that? They, they, they know. There's a knowing there, but that's about the limit of their knowledge. Now, it is quite possible that if you fast forward 50 or 60 years, you might find that they have a PhD in nuclear science. Or you might find that they have had remarkable achievements. Now, how in the world did they get from that helpless baby who only knew its mother's breast to a very, very erudite, highly sophisticated, very, very knowledgeable person? How did you get there? And the answer, lessons, 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 learning, learning, learning all along the way. Now, how do we learn? How do we learn? Well, one, one way we learn as, as young people is by asking questions. I like the story of the little boy who said to his dad, Dad, how hot is the sun? Oh, he said, I, am not, I don't know, son. He said, well, Dad, uh, how, how far is it from the middle of the sun to the middle of Mars? Oh, he said, I'm sorry, I couldn't tell you that. He said, well, Dad, if I were to travel around the sun, how far is it? Oh, he said, you got me there, son. I, I really don't know. He said, Dad, you don't mind me asking you these questions, do you? He said, no, son, of course not. How are you going to learn if you don't ask questions? <laughs> so we, we certainly learn by asking questions, but we have to admit that the degree of learning is determined by the quality of the answering. So here you go. Think back to your formative days. What were your questions? Who did you ask? What was the quality of the answers? That had an awful lot to do with your life lessons as you started to learn how to learn. We learn from impressions as well. I have a vivid impression that has never left me and was very formative in, in my theology. <laughs> you see, my, my father owned a small grocery store. 
our home was immediately behind the grocery store. So the quickest way in and out of our house was for me to come in through the store, go behind the counter, pass the candy shelf within a few inches of my left hand. All those enticing candies were sitting there, and then I would go into my house. When I came out, the other way round. On one occasion, it occurred to me that all these candies were just sitting there begging to be eaten, and so I decided to help my father do that. He observed me doing it and decided that was going to become a teachable moment. And so I, the dutiful little boy, stood there before my father, who taught me that certain things belong to you, Stuart, and certain things belong to your daddy. The things that belong to your daddy do not belong to you. If, therefore, you take the things that belong to yourself, that's perfectly all right. But if you take things that belong to somebody else, that is called stealing. He then went into the details of this so that we finished up with a life of crime and me spending the majority of my life incarcerated. It did seem, it did seem a little bit over the top, but I got the drift, you see. So this was firmly fixed in my mind. So try to imagine this little boy back and forth, back and forth by the candy store, all those enticing candies there, and he knew perfectly well he should not touch them at all. One day, the opportunity was too much. And making a quick glance around the store and making sure there was not a soul there with a dexterous athletic movement in a split second, I whipped one of those candies into my mouth and then I heard the voice of God. <laughs> well, actually, it wasn't the voice of God. It was worse. It was my father. He had a counter that was at right angles to the one I was working behind, and this counter was stacked up with shelves, but he had little peepholes in it so that when he had to go around the back to cut the bacon or the cheese or the butter or whatever it was, he could keep an eye on what people were helping themselves to around the other side of the store. And so he saw what happened, and he said, Stuart, come here. So I dutifully presented myself before my father, little boy, knowing he'd done wrong, knowing that he'd been seen, knowing that he was guilty. My father in those days used to wear a long white apron that my mother insisted on starching. So my mental image of my father was a very tall gentleman. He wasn't all that tall, but he was compared to me. And he had this glistening, white, impenetrable, unspeakably pure apron that completely clothed him. And I had this picture of pure, white, impenetrable, gleaming holiness. That was my father. He had a voice on top of it all, a sonorous voice, for he was a preacher. And he began to remind me of the life lesson that I had heard. And I remember that his apron was tied with a big bow in the front of what he called his middle age spread. And in the middle age spread, in the, fin 
well, I won't go into that. That I used to stare him straight in the bow while he was talking to me. And he went into great details about what was going to happen to me. And then in the end, he said, now look at me, Stuart. Look at me. That was the last thing I wanted to do. But slowly my eyes traversed the glistening white impenetrable purity of his white apron. And I looked at his face, stern, serious, with two saving graces. In the corner of his eye I saw the trace of a tear. the corner of his mouth I saw the ghost of a smile. And I have fixed in my mind as a little boy a mental image of the God of whom I have been taught, holy, righteous, just, gracious, merciful, kind, loving, fully orbed. That's an impression that never left me. It became foundational to my understanding of God in all his self-revelation. It's how you learn. It's how you learn. Now think back to your life lessons, the formative years. Fast forward to where I'm a teenager during the Second World War. We had a, a Royal Air Force station close to the city, the small town where we lived. Young men came from all over the British Empire to join the Royal Air Force defending the mother country. And many of these young men were believers, and they heard about my home, and they began to congregate there, dozens of them. Every single day they would come. My mother had cancer. She was raising two small boys. She was running the family business because my father had been drafted during the war, and she entertained all these kids. We had rationing of food, and she fed all these young men. I have no idea how she did it. She counseled them about their girlfriends back in New Zealand and Australia. She wrote to their parents when these young men were killed in fiery crashes over Germany within a matter of weeks of being there. And I watched her. And I saw loving sacrifice and compassion and care and service like I've never seen it replicated anywhere else. And I learned how to serve. How do we learn? Well, we learn by asking questions. We learn by sitting in classes. We learn by experiences. We learn through interactions. And all this information begins to pile up within us. And then something fascinating happened years later. I heard a talk by a very erudite friend of mine called Dr. Os Guinness, Oxford PhD, smart as they come, brilliant talk he gave on a subject I knew nothing about. I'd had the privilege of teaching Oz when he was a teenager at our youth conferences. Now I sat at his feet. He was talking about something called postmodernism. 
I tried to find out what postmodernism was. I knew what post meant, it meant after. So postmodernism meant something that came after modernism. I tried to find out what modernism was, and nobody seemed to agree on what it was. So I realized that postmodernism came after something that nobody agreed what it was. It sounded confusing, and I discovered that it really is confusing. But this was the line of thinking. Somebody could ask, the, a postmodernist would ask you the question, you say that you know such and such a thing, that this is a life lesson, you've learned this thing. Yes. From whom did you learn it? I learned it from so-and-so. Did that person know everything there was to know about that subject before they taught you? No. That which they did know, incomplete though it was, did they know it perfectly? Well, no. Was there anything prejudicial about their understanding of this, even though they didn't know it all and only understood it imperfectly, the part they did know? Yeah. By the way, who did they learn it from? Did that person they learned it from know all and they're back and back and back, you see? So in the end, they, they said to me, well, what you say you have learned, in actual fact, you don't know the whole story. What you do know, you don't know perfectly. It was prejudiced by the people who taught it to you, and you had your own prejudices when you took it, so how in the world can you say you know anything? That's postmodernism, in case you didn't know. That's incidentally where we live right now. The net result of that is people say you can't really know anything, so you shouldn't be dogmatic about anything. You should simply say, this is my truth. And then you've got to allow everybody else to have their truth, so everybody has a different truth, so there's no such thing as absolute truth. Isn't that wonderful? That's where we are, so we can't know anything perfectly. Well, that raised a problem for me because I had got certain things factored into my life now that I was certain of. Now I wasn't certain of anything. I hope you've thought this through because this is the world we live in. Fortunately, I'd had enough teaching, I'd had enough growing, I'd had enough learning to know that God's Word is worth reading. So I turned to it, and this is a passage I want to read to you now, very briefly. Proverbs chapter 1. Now remember, I've learned how to learn. I've been learning all kinds of different ways. But now what I've learned is being shaken by new philosophies, new ways that people are thinking. So now I'm reading Proverbs with these two things in mind. Chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, etc., etc. Now notice the key words here. Verse 2, wisdom, discipline, understanding, insight. Verse 3, prudence, right, just, fair. Verse 4, knowledge, discretion. Verse 5, guidance. Do you see these words? Strong words. And I suddenly realize now there's a huge conflict 
what I have been learning as being characterized as wisdom and discipline and understanding and insight to lead me into what is right and just and fair. But the postmodernists are telling me, no, no, this is just your truth. And I had a decision to make. Which way was I going to go? Which way was I going to go? And how could I explain the difference? And this is how I learned to explain the difference. In the reading in Colossians chapter 1 that we had right at the beginning, you remember what his prayer was? Asking God to fill them with knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I realized the flaw in postmodern thinking that they, they certainly had some points absolutely right but they had their conclusions wrong. And I'll tell you why. Because they were not factoring in a fundamental thing called spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I studied the scriptures. I studied in the epistle of James. I studied in 1 Corinthians. And this is what I discovered. I discovered that there is a very sharp contrast between earthly wisdom and spiritual wisdom earthly wisdom doesn't know diddly about spiritual wisdom. Paul put it this way. He wasn't talking about postmodernism, obviously. He was talking about all the Greek philosophies of his day. But he says, by human wisdom, nobody knows God. That takes spiritual wisdom. That takes spiritual wisdom. So whilst I'm grateful for a lot of postmodern thinking that takes away inappropriate confidence at times, I certainly don't prescribe to their philosophy. For I believe there is such a thing in the limitations of human knowledge. There is such a thing as the impartation of spiritual wisdom. And spiritual wisdom, by definition, is the wisdom that comes through the activity of the Holy Spirit. And so I began to progress a little further. I'd learned how to learn. Now I was learning the difference between earthly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. And spiritual wisdom was going to be imparted to me by the Holy Spirit as I opened up my life to what he would reveal to me of God. And how would he do it? Well, I learned something else. I learned that the Holy Spirit has inspired the Word of God. Therefore, I was to become somebody who was going to build his life on spiritual wisdom, who was going to take all that earthly wisdom could offer that would not contradict spiritual wisdom, but was going to find spiritual wisdom in God's Word and was going to anticipate the Spirit of the living God leading me into a knowledge of the truth. And this is how I learned my life lessons. All right, now go back to Colossians chapter 1. He prays, asking God to fill them with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom 
and understanding. So now, it wasn't just a matter of learning how to learn, and it wasn't just a matter of learning how to discover spiritual wisdom. Now it was going to be a matter of learning what? It was a matter of learning the knowledge of his will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, if I learn how to learn, if I recognize the reality of spiritual wisdom, if I open myself up and study spiritual wisdom, that is going to lead me into the knowledge of his will. Wow. You know, a lot of, a lot of people think this world is just spinning hopelessly out of control. Other people think that this world just came into this into being somehow or other without any design, without any sense of direction, without any sense of purpose. <laughs> and they inhabit this thing that came into being without design or direction or purpose, which means that they are living on it without any sense of design or direction or purpose. And then they wonder why they don't feel fulfilled. Well, it's hard to feel fulfilled if you know at heart you're a fulfilled accident. It's therefore very, very encouraging to hear something very simple, that this world is not spinning hopelessly out of control, that in actual fact God who created it is holding it in the hollow of his hand and working out his grand cosmic eternal purposes for the world that he has created. And to begin to get that fundamental lesson deeply rooted in your thinking, this is a purposeful world. I am a personal, integral part of this world. God put me here in his world for a purpose and he will show me what it is and he will strengthen me to do it and I will have a sense of divine calling and I'll have a sense of eternal significance and I'll have a sense of something to offer this crazy world. What a lesson to learn. So I learned how to learn then I learned how to learn spiritual wisdom. Then I learned how to learn God's will. And that led to something else. Look, if you will, back in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul is talking about the gospel. This is what he says. All over the world, this gospel is producing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you, since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Ah, understanding grace in all its truth. That's what happens when you begin to learn spiritual wisdom and you begin to learn the knowledge of his will one of the first things you discover is the grace of God. And it becomes fundamental in your life. The grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith is a fundamental statement 
of the Christian gospel. By grace are you saved through faith. Grace is God's part. Man's part is faith. Grace and faith lead to salvation. But more than that, Scripture says this, God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, (laughs) might abound unto every good work. I'll give you that again, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, might abound unto every good work. And that's not all. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus, who though he was rich, Yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Easy, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Memorize them both. It's all about grace. But what is it? (laughs) It says... They came to an understanding of grace in all its truth. All right, time for another story. Some of you heard this story before, but it's the best one I've got to illustrate this. I like this story anyway. In fact, nobody else tells it, so if I want to hear it, I've got to (laughs) tell it. (laughs) I come home from a trip. My wife gives me a report on the children. One of the children who shall be nameless until I forget and name him. Well, I've narrowed it down already. <laughs> he has misbehaved himself. He has been taught that all actions have consequences, etc., etc. Sometimes he is very reluctant to learn that some of his actions have consequences, so we have to be a little more forceful in reinforcing that lesson. So I now speak to my son, and I explain to him that what he's done wrong, consequences, the consequences of his wrongdoing are very, very simple. I am going to apply this board of education to the seat of his learning. Bend over. (laughs) All right. This is what he deserves. He is going to get five whacks of the Board of Education on the seat of his learning. And he needs to understand he is getting what he deserves, and the word for that is justice. Justice gives us what we deserve. Are you ready? Yes. By by the way, this is going to hurt me more than it will hurt you. Okay. One, whack. Two, whack. Three, whack. Are you okay? I'm okay, but how are you? It's hurting you more than it's hurting me. Well, that'll do. What do you mean that'll do? Well, that'll do. But you said you were going to give me five. Yeah. You gave me three. Yeah. You said five was justice. Yeah. What's three? Mercy. For justice gives you what you deserve. Mercy does not give you all you deserve. 
And my young son, who was a very quick learner, he said, Hey, Dad, I like mercy better than justice. I said, smart people do. But some rather stupid people say to God, Do me justice, God. And they should not say that. (laughs) He will. He will. Now go to your room. Sit down and think about this lesson that I've just taught you, justice and mercy. Would it be all right if I stand up and think about it? Yes. And now later I go up and say to him, I'm going out for an ice cream. Would you like to come with me? What, and what, do you eat ice cream? Well, no, I was planning on buying you an ice cream. So we get in the car and we're driving to the ice cream shop. He says, I'm confused, Dad. What's what's the confusion? He said, you said you were going to give me what I deserved, five. You gave me three. You didn't give me all I deserved. You said the first one was justice and the second one was mercy. Now you're buying me an ice cream. I don't get it. What do you call this? And I said, you call this grace. Grace. But justice gives you what you deserve. Mercy does not give you all you deserve. Grace gives you what you don't deserve. Grace. We are utterly dependent on grace. The interesting thing about grace, there are lots of interesting things about grace. One of the really interesting things about grace is that the Latin word for grace is gratia. And gratia is the etymological root for a very common English word, gratitude. Gratitude. And that's how it works. You see, when I understand grace and understand that God has showered upon me and continues to shower upon me, blessing upon blessing upon blessing, that I do not deserve what wells up within me. Gratitude. And the big question I'm asking all the time is, how can I express my gratitude? (laughs) And Paul says, well, that's what I've been praying for you. I'm praying that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will through spiritual wisdom and understanding in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Oh, I get it. I get it. So gratia produces gratitude and spiritual wisdom, which is different from earthly wisdom, imparts to me the knowledge of grace and of his will. And out of gratitude, I say to myself, that's what I want. That's the way I want to go. That's what I want to do. Up to now, I've just been pleasing myself. Now I want to please you. The life I've lived up to now, I've called myself a follower of Jesus, but it certainly hasn't been worthy of a follower of Jesus. I want to be worthy of my calling. I want to please you and not please myself. And it changes the whole course of your life. And you become a different person. Life 
lessons. Now, last night, I broke a world record. I not only had five points instead of three, I got through all three. I got through all five, rather. <laughs> I got through all five. World record. It's in the Guinness Book. <laughs> Today, I only got through four. I'm leaving the fifth one for you, for your homework. Go away and ask yourself, since I came into this world and only knew how to find my mother's breast, how in the world did I get where I am now? What did I learn? What have I learned? Who do I learn it from? How reliable is it? How much of it is spiritual wisdom? How is spiritual wisdom producing the person that I am? And what evidence is there for it? Here's your homework. Let's pray. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, take your word home to our hearts. It's your word that matters, not the stories, but to the extent that the stories illustrate your word, use them, make them helpful to people. To the extent they just simply get in the way, take them quickly from people's recollections. And may your word find a resting place in our hearts. And may we respond appropriately to it. We pray these things in Jesus' name.